Hi, everybody. My name is Darren. I'm an alcoholic. This is already one of the strangest meetings I've ever been. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Wasn't Kyle freaking awesome? Yeah. I really love the laughter. The laughter in Alcoholics is great. Now, I was told to speak for 40 minutes, so don't get angry with me if I speak for 40 minutes. But I went and listened, watched the uh, timeouts there. But uh, I want to thank Anna for asking us to drive three goddamn hours down to the <laughs> Thank you so very much. Hopefully, karma will get you back. But anyway, we love AA. I love AA. I'll do anything for Alcos Anonymous because it, it absolutely saved my life, for sure. I am the worst drunk I've ever met. I'll tell you that much. It still amazes me that I'm sober and alive. Because an alcoholic of my type, of the book's type, it seems Kyle's type, and the, the girl that celebrated her birthday, for sure, there's three outcomes, jails, institutions, and death. And death was close, and death was welcome. You can't scare an alcoholic with death at our stage of drinking. It's like, bring it on, man, bring it on. But alcoholism doesn't have the dignity to take us quickly. My fear is not dying an alcoholic death. My fear is living an alcoholic life. Some of us don't die. And it could mess you with you year after year, decade after decade. And living in that gray, miserable, suicidal area. Oh, my God. I was doing that for years. And then we get to postpone the punishment up. So this is amazing. So now, because I'm recovered, having gone through the steps and having had a spiritual awakening, I'm one of those happy, annoying, grateful alcoholics. You know what I mean? Don't you hate those people? When I came to AA, I hate people, generally speaking. But I especially hate those happy fuckers. Oh, my God. How can you be sober and happy? It makes no sense. It doesn't. Like, why do you get drunk again or high again or whatever you do? Because sobriety sucks. If you're honest, without a program, being sober sucks. It sucks so bad, I'll get drunk again. We, we like, well, that's up. It's not obvious when you've just come out of the lockdown psychiatric unit or your kids are on the brink of being taken from you and you go and pick up again. And they say, like, the def if the definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. What is the definition of doing the same thing over and over, knowing the results? We take it to a whole new level. Holy <laughs> hell, <laughs> you know. The, the problem is that alcohol will always work. People around here say the drink stops working and the drugs stop working. And I think we mean in like the nightclub way or the disco way or the, you're the funny little fucker in the pub way. Those days are over. <laughs> But alcohol will always work. When I want to kill myself, or if I, the, one of the worst things that us alcoholics suffer with is, is anxiety, right? You know what's brilliant for anxiety? Alcohol. So you'll wake up, <laughs> you wake up, you're going to have a nervous mental freaking break. I don't know why I said freaking when I've said fuck three times already. <laughs> you, know when you, wake, you know when you wake up with a nervous mental breakdown, I swear to God, the only way to get out of that is that is the solution to my problem is alcohol. But the solution to my problem is my anxiety problem is the thing that's killing me. So what a conundrum we're already in. The solution to my problem of anxiety and depression is the thing that's actually killing me. 
And the problem with the drink is it will immediately work and then you are immediately booked. Isn't that the truth? Because then what's ahead of you is the longest, most miserable, torturous day of your life, having to get whatever it is you need to get to maintain and get through the day. Ad infinitum. Ad infinitum. So thank God there's a solution. And, um, you know, I, I put off coming to Alcott's Anonymous for so long because it's been depicted on the TV in England so badly. It was the last place in the world I ever wanted to be. By the way, if you don't know me, I'm from, uh, alcohol didn't do this to me. I was born in Manchester, England. That's why I have a funny accent. I'm not having a stroke. I'm not drunk. But in England, on the, on the telly in England, it would show Alcohol's Anonymous so depressingly boring, like show these smoky-filled, miserable rooms with seven men in a circle, and one of them's one week sober, no clapping. I'm like, oh, I never want to go to that. I'm sure the sober dancers and all these ugly people Three women over here and four guys over here. They're not mingling. I'm like, Jesus. If I ever get to AA and I get the chick with more than three teeth, I'll be killing it. <laughs> so I did, I did not come to AA skipping in a, in a hurry. But eventually it was the last place on the block. I'm one of those that barbecues my life. Man. I barbecue my life to the ground. And I'm a special alcoholic where I will ruin your life too. <laughs> And so finally I'm crying, I'm on the phone, it's about midnight, and I call AA and this woman, beautiful woman, just, I kept saying, I'm going to kill myself. She said, why don't you go to an AA meeting? Tomorrow there's one down the street from you in Santa Barbara. It's a men's meeting. And I remember waking up the next day going, has it really come to this? You know, Darren, I've been to go to AA. I've wanted to kill myself, but I'm worried someone's going to watch me walk into an Alano club. I have a reputation. <laughs> To consider here. But anyway, I, you know, now I had a drink for sure the next day because if I'm going to leave my bedroom, let alone my house, I need to have some vodka in me, mate. Especially if I'm going to do something really weird like interact with another human. <laughs> Fuck, I need to have a drink. So I had enough drinking, me to calm the nerves and a gel. I had a shower for the first time in months. And it gelled me hair really sexy like I used to be able to back then. <laughs> I sauntered into this AA meeting and it was nothing like I'd seen on the telly. It was awesome. It was a huge, bright lit room, about 80 or 90 men. And they were all so happy to see each other. They're like, congratulations. Someone had got a new job and someone, her missus were pregnant and don't want to offend anyone, but, you know, and, and all these other things. And it's like, there was a vast amount of fun about it all. Now I'm sat on my own away from everybody because I'm an observer. I don't want to catch anything from these happy folks, you know what I mean? So I was watching what's going on. And then, and then the next thing that happened really captured my attention. Just underneath, the deadly earnestness kicked in. The meeting's about to start. Everybody shut up, got off their cell phones and, and respected the meeting. And I was like, wow. And I thought, this is a good time to open my jacket pocket, pull out my bottle of vodka and start drinking. From a big bottle of vodka, the guy next is going, holy shit, he's drinking vodka. <laughs> and I was astounded, like, because nobody else was drinking. I'm like, isn't this Alcott's Anonymous? <laughs> Don't you have a drinking problem? Listen, I stayed drunk in AA in Santa Barbara for a year. For a year, openly drinking in the meetings for months and months. Then I started to hide it in a water bottle. I figured out the trick, you know what I mean? He could have told me. 
that's what you were doing. I couldn't get three days, let alone 30 days, and um, stood up as a newcomer that, that whole year. Now, you know, it wasn't always like that. I had a good time like Kyle. I started drinking at 13. 13. I thought that would get like a fucking round of applause. But no, no. You know, because someone like Kelly, they were drinking at eight. I was drinking at eight. <laughs> 13, you boring bastard. Like, Kelly had done a five stretch in Pelican Bay the year after he got sober because he relapsed. And then, and then you get out of prison early and you threw the kid out of the car on the freeway or some shit, you know? <laughs> Only an A would someone laugh at that. I mean, <laughs> and he's back in Alcott's Anonymous and he's getting his 30 day chip and he's 11. So you can't, <laughs> you can't outdo anybody in Alcott's Anonymous. So don't ever try, right? This one woman speaker. She gives a great talk, but her whole talk surrounds on the fact that she was drunk in her mother's womb. <laughs> Give me a break, lady, in the womb. That's the whole story. Like, okay, okay, you win. You win. Then you just give all the talks all around California. I think she was born blowing a 0.25, <laughs> smoking a pack of Malboretto or some shit. Like, oh, get it out. Slap it on the bum and give it a gin and tonic right away. <laughs> so I'm drinking 13, 14, 15. I go to school. I go to university. The only reason I went to university was to party because I'm a party animal. Apparently, you get a degree sometimes, you know, but luckily <laughs> I, I got one of them too, but I was just a party animal. Any other party animals in here? Yeah, dude. See? I thought it going to be full of boring bastards. You shouldn't be drinking anyway. No. You will meet your guys and gals in here. And so um, after university, I became an entrepreneur. I was luckily uh, set up by my older brother and we formed this business and it just became very successful very quickly. We, we had to hire a secretary and we, we were responsible for dozens of people's jobs. We had a fleet of vehicles and uh, it just went awesome. Within two years, we had like outstanding invoices of, of over $2 million. And so I thought I had arrived and I'd been a party animal up until this point. But at the age of 25 or thereabouts, that's when alcoholism started to take its mighty grip of me. And alcoholism, just like I had a preconceived notion uh, of what it's going to be like in Alcoholics Anonymous, I also had a notion of what it means to be an alcoholic. There couldn't be any of yous in here because you're either too young, too good looking, too well put together or whatever. I think it's the the bum on State Street who's peed himself, begging for change, drinking out of a brown paper bag. I usually say someone with a bushy beard, but this guy's got a massive bushy beard <laughs> right on this camera. Here, so like, and, and so, you know, at 25, I start, alcoholism started to infiltrate me bones and into me soul. And it, come, it doesn't come in the form of me waking up in a tent drinking meat vodka. <laughs> It comes in the form, he's not laughing at all, by the way. It comes in the, it comes in the form of massive anxiety. So I'm, I'm jittery and nervous as can be at a, at a job where I'm the CEO. I'm the CEO. Some junior guy. I hope he's frozen, I swear to God. No, he's not. <laughs> A kid would be walking towards me, and I'm 25, 26, like, and I'm supposedly the man, and I'd be like, oh my God, and I'd dart off into another room because I couldn't stand that, that human interaction because I'm going to have a nervous mental breakdown at any minute. <laughs> and I ended up like, I couldn't do, I, I couldn't 
get out of my sports car to go to a high-powered business meeting that I'd set up the day before. And I used to be good at that kind of thing, right? But, well, at one time I was sat outside the bank and I had to go and present these checks because my brother was onto me. For months he's onto me, but you know, I'm running around pretending everything's all right. Every time I was in bed, I make an excuse for something else, but he was onto me. And like the bankers watch with amused skepticism, I rolled some fat checks in that his account. But today I just can't get out of my car. And I decide after about half an hour, right, I'm going to open the door, I'm going to scurry off into the entrance of the bank like the rat I am, quick as can be, and hopefully the sunlight doesn't shatter me into a million pieces <laughs> and maybe I'll be okay. And I get running into the bank and then there's a goddamn line right in front of me and it's not moving. And the walls are closing in and my heart's beating out my chest and she's looking at me funny and he's not laughing at all. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God. And I just hated those moments and that's how I was living my life. And then I got fired. I got fired from that job. Like we, we were a shareholding company at this uh, stage of the business, four directors. We had a boring boardroom meeting as usual and I wasn't paying attention until my brother said, so yes, Darren, we're not sure what's going on with you, but uh, we're going to have to let you go. And I came to him and went, what do you mean let me go? And he's a smart businessman. And I'm like, all my fears started to play out. I knew he was on to me and I was just like furious. I said, well, you can't do that. I started this bedroom in the bedroom. Wanker, this business in the bedroom. He's all, well, we've all agreed to it. We've all signed here. So I kicked the table over and I went to give him a flying headbutt, right? Because I believe in clear communication. <laughs> the finance director tackles me. It's just an awful scene. One of those classic alcoholic moments where I've been found out. We've all had them. I've been found out. The mask has slipped. Because what I've been doing up to then, I'd adopted a, a second full-time job up to then, like we do, which is to run around Manchester making sure you think I'm okay. Because if you think I'm okay, maybe I'll be okay. And only an al another alcoholic will get that, right? Now, I wish I could have had a chat with my brother before this got to this stage and said to him, look, Steve, I'm full of resentments, man. And I really hate you in particular. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear. And I don't know why, but I usually take a drink, take the edge off, and then they overshoot the mark. I'm like, no, couldn't tell him any of that because I have to pretend everything's okay all the time. Now, he thought I was suffering from something. He thought I had lazy bastarditis. That's what he thought about because I wasn't doing my job. Now, the only thing that's important to me as any good alcoholic was getting ahead of the story. That's all I cared about. Who was in that meeting? Who didn't see it? I can't look back. Oh my God, I've been found out, but all my boys weren't there. I had to leave the car there. They were going to pay me a crappy check. It was the worst time to exit the business, of course. And I went home and it was a Thursday night. It already arranged to go out that night because I went out every weekend and any good alcoholic, your weekend's longer than your week, right? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so I get to the pub before me, me boys get there. And that was the worst day of my life. And then uh, I had a couple of stiff drinks. Woof, the old fear, determination to win came right back. And here comes Simon and here comes Dave. And I said, did you hear about that bullshit today, boys? Did you hear about that? My brother's a wanker, dude. I built that business up. I did this and I did that. And I can do anything I put my mind to. And they bought it. And went, yeah, that's right, man. You did most of that work. And I said, screw those guys. I don't need them. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go traveling again like I used to as a student. I used to love to travel. 
You know, in fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to America and I'm going to become president or some shit. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> hey, you never know. Apparently, any fucker can become president these days. So, you know, I, do. <laughs> I think the problem is the shit UK weather. I think the problem is my girlfriend. She keeps leaving me and stuff. I think the problem is my brother because he's a proper little wanker, right? No? <laughs> Somebody put the problem on a flight at Manchester International Airport and flew him all the way to LAX. And there I am. There I am. I'm on holiday. I came to America for a two-week holiday just to take the edge off 21 years ago. <laughs> I never made it home. I never went back to England. I didn't know I was going to circle the drain of life and almost die of untreated alcoholism. I just came to have a good time. Instead of staying for two weeks, my visa waiver allowed me to stay for 90 days. By the time that was up, I'd been drunk for 90 days because I like to drink when I'm on holiday. And um, a friend then flies over from England. I buy an SUV and we travel the whole of America for six months. The trip of a lifetime, 12,000 miles, 32 states, a big loop of America, even up into Canada. I'm drunk in every town, city and state. By the time we get back to Santa Barbara, I have seven outstanding warrants in five different states. <laughs> that means I had a good, bloody time. I'm also an illegal alien at this point, whatever that means. My friend who's normal flies back to Manchester and I become a drunk bartender. My cousin, who I'd never met before, owns an English pub in downtown Santa Barbara. Now, my lack of responsibility has really masked my alcoholism. My lack of responsibility masked it. People say staying drunk isn't the problem, right? I love staying drunk. It ain't a problem at all, dude. It's a problem for other people. Your boss doesn't like it. The authorities don't like it. Your spouse doesn't like it. I fucking love it. But now I've got to turn up for work sober. That is going to be difficult. And I'm a jittery, nervous wreck. So I start having like a cheeky drink just to calm me down like in the mornings. And a typical day, like I would come to... And I'm sweating Jägermeister out of every pore. I have a shadowy recollection of screwing up the night before. Did it even work? I don't know. But then I have a shadowy recollection of watching the local, locals serving each other. And I'm the slumped bartender, drunk as a skunk on the stool in the corner, thinking, this ain't right, man. And I was always in trouble. I'd wake up and I'm in trouble. Like, I just fucking woke up. Why am I in trouble? I don't know what I'm in trouble for, but I know I'm in trouble. And now I'd have, to, I'd have to get a drink in me before going to work. But someone would be at work, so I can't have a drink at the bar I work at. So I devised a plan to go and have a cheeky drink in the Irish pub called Dargan's across, across the street from the English bar that I worked at. So I'd jump on my bike, vomit down State Street or another DUI, and huge delivery trucks were coming up the other way. And I fantasize about just driving underneath one of them things because what do we want? Oblivion. And it might look like an accident. And so I'd get to Dargan's Irish pub, put my bike outside. As I put my hand on the door handle, just within that nanosecond of holding onto it, I've changed my mind half a dozen times. Just go out on State Street and kill yourself. No, not now. When I'd open the door and walk into the huge, empty Irish pub, as always, there's beautiful Yvonne, Irish Yvonne, way out of my league, cleaning the beer pumps or something. Now I have to make this look normal. Who else needs a drink at 9.40 in the morning? I've got to be at work in five minutes. So I'm walking in like this, oh my God. And then she glances my way and I do that. Hey, Yvonne, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> all right. She says, Jesus, Darren, how you doing, young fella? I said, I'm all right. 
feel a bit rough though. I went out last night and I shouldn't have done it. I think I got the flu and I got to go to work. I'm trying to finagle a drink. And she said, would you like a pint? I said, fuck yes, I'd like a pint. Thank you very much. And now it's her idea. Like, oh, okay, as if I'm weighing it up. Now here's the problem though. I don't think I can wait the 30 seconds it's going to take her to pull this drink. Yeah. I really don't think I can hang on that long. And she turns around to pour the pie, and I'm just like this, oh, my God. And she glanced my way, and I go, hey. <laughs> she finally brings the pint down, puts it right in front of me, but then she just stands there looking at me like she wants to chit-chat or some shit. And I just want to pull my knife out and stab her in the neck, stab her in the neck, bleed her out. She's dead, get me drink. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I finished my pint in, like, three seconds flat. It hasn't quite done the trick. Hasn't quite done the trick, and I tell her, Yvonne, thank you, but oh my god, I feel rough. And she said, Would you like a Jaeger? I said, Oh, yes. <laughs> she doesn't bother with that little shot glass bullshit. She gives me a tumbler full of Jaeger, and I almost feel better just watching her pour that sucker to the top. And I get it and I glug it down. <laughs> oh, hey, what's the problem, dude? What's the problem? I've gone from a trembling. Despairing, nervous wreck to a man brimming over his self-reliance in 30 seconds, just like that. Now I'm going to go to work, no problem. I'm checking Yvonne and that. I might come back and shag Yvonne on my break. No problem, all right? <laughs> I drink some more at work. I overshoot the mark. I get fired from that job. Just another classic Darren got found out moment. Then my world became super small. I went down to the pub to see who took my shift and I threw a pint on. Darren, out. I got barred from my cousin's pub. I got barred from every pub in downtown Santa Barbara over literally probably the next two weeks. James Joyce, Old Malley's, Old King's Road. The sportsman's very difficult to get barred from. I got barred from <laughs> and then I'm just uh, circling the drain of life and I'm not seeing anyone for months. I'm living in a crappy house on the west side of town with three other bartenders who want nothing to do with me and I want nothing to do with them. And now I'm just living to drink. I'm not a functioning alcoholic. I'm a nightmare of two to three bottles of vodka, alcoholic, that I have to steal from the local shop. And so a typical day I'd, I'd come to, and it'd be pitch black outside. I have no idea whether it's night or day. I'd realize, oh my God, it's 5 a.m., that darkest hour before the dawn. I have strong, horrible, warm vodka under my bed because I will need it at first daylight, but I desperately don't want to drink it. Uh, but I can only wait about... 10 minutes, the mental and hellish torture was so bad, so bad, I'm going to have a nervous mental breakdown any minute or more likely a grand mal seizure. And I would reach under the bed for the strong, horrible, warm vodka. And I had four fingers in every tall bottle in the morning. It was like a science project. I needed it first daylight. And I would finish that and it wouldn't even be 6 a.m. And now here's the problem, though. I've just fed the beast and now the beast needs feeding. So I put on my baggy clothing to go and steal two or hopefully three big bottles of vodka. And as I'm clinking off home, you can't just like pound the vodka and pass out. No, no, no. It's like a science project. I've got, depending on how much I've stolen, I've got to get the first bottle to get me into later afternoon for the second bottle to get me into the evening because I'm trying to get to 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, or maybe 10 o'clock at night to catch a good enough sleep to maybe wake up and not have to drink like that ever again. And it says the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. I drank like that for two more years. Two more years of two, three big bottles of vodka. 
I don't know how I survived it, but here's how I got sober. I came to, there was, it was pitch black outside, there was no vodka under my bed. That had never, ever, ever happened to me before. There wasn't even an empty bottle. And I, I took it as a sign, this is the day I'm gonna kill myself. And I was fine with that. I tried to kill myself two months prior. Uh, my roommates were all downtown partying at 2 a.m. having excluded me as usual from all self-pity and maudlin drunk. One of them has an arsenal of weapons and I jimmy his bedroom door and I bust in and I find all the weapons and I find a loaded gun and I stagger into the living room and I put the gun in my mouth. It's heavy on my teeth. I can remember it right now. And I'm thinking, do I blow the back of my head off? What do I shoot up through the roof of my mouth? And the thought came to me, fuck, it's 2 a.m. If I pull the trigger right now, I'll definitely wake the neighbours up. You know what I mean? Too fucking polite for that shit. Just start crying, throw the loaded gun in the bedroom and go back to my miserable party house and finish the job. Two months after that, I found a huge bottle of pills. I looked them up. This should have killed a goddamn elephant, dude. I took the whole bottle of pills with another whole bottle of vodka and I just came through it. I had a rotten stomach for about a month. But today, <laughs> today I'm going to kill myself. After a couple of hours of deliberating what, how to do it, I decided to jump off Santa Barbara's biggest bridge. And I jumped in my shitty, crappy car, drove up the 20 minutes mountain path road, parked the car, walked to the center of the bridge, and I paused. And I paused because I knew it was going to kill me mom. I sort of waited. And as I paused, a voice came into my head. And someone had fucking laid into me after a meeting and told me the truth. And I was sharing about killing myself. I was saying AA is a bunch of shit, doesn't work. He said, you can't say AA doesn't work. I said, I've been coming here for a year, old man. He said, oh, well, we've seen you doing that. And first of all, you should come sober. It works better. I'm like, okay, I had to concede that point. Now I'm a bad drunk, but even I can get sober every time I went to jail, detox, lockdown, psychiatric unit, drunk time. I always come out sober, I just can't stay sober. Instead of drunk like you, you need to have a psychic chain and go through the steps and get a sponsor. And I'm thinking, I had, two, I had secrets in AA, I never had a sponsor, and I didn't know what the steps were, and you guys were always talking about it. And I said to myself, I'm going to go back to that AA bullshit and I'm going to do those stupid 12 steps. And when they don't work, I'm going to go and find that man. Have a little chit chat, right? Take him off the bridge with me. <laughs> so I know, I know enough that I can't just come skipping into AA going, where's Kelly, the golden 12 steps? No, I need to be medically detoxified. Jump in my car, drive all the way back to Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital emergency room and park in my usual spot. I'd been there like four times already that year. It was only April. As I pull in, I sideswipe the car next to me. I've just driven down a freaking mountain road and I crashed the car in the parking lot. The police are already there. It's the emergency room around the corner. They come around and get on the car. I'm like, sorry, that was me, my fault. Got my ID. Uh, I need to go into hospital. I got the, and the two cops. One came right up to me. The other one's like just observing from behind. He comes right up to me and went, wait, have you been drinking? I said, no, mate. I've asked a weird first question. I said, no, have you? Doesn't like that approach. <laughs> I said, we're doing some field sobriety tests. I said, okay. I do all these, the other cops watch, he's almost rooting for me. I do all these field sobriety tests perfectly. This guy's pissed. He looks at his colleagues, so he's like this. I said, you're doing some more? I said, okay. I do the rest of them perfectly. He said, look, mate, you need to blow into this machine. 
and I blow into his breathalyzer and I blow a 0.32. It's about 11 a.m. I haven't even had a drink yet. I'm waking up at a 0.32 and then I'm drinking two or three big bottles of vodka. They cannot believe it. They cannot believe it. They're jibber-jabbering with each other. And I'm like, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? At a point, anything over a point three, your vital organs can easily stop working. At a point four, which I would be at my first sip, no doubt, normal people are in a coma. And it's just a medical fact some of those would die. So the tolerance level is outrageous. And he starts to pull the handcuffs. I've been unusually confident until this point. I said, whoa, what are you doing, man? What? He said, turn around, you're going to jail. And then, then I started to use our language. I started to panic and I go, no, 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 I need to go to AA, dude. If you make me detox in jail, I'll fuck, I will kill somebody, dude. I said, I'm small, but I am dangerous. <laughs> and, you know, I start to use our language and steps and this, and something magical starts to happen, I swear to God. They do arrest me, of course, but they decide to take me to the local police station instead of the jail. And that felt so much safer to me. And now we're getting along great. We're telling each other jokes. I'm handcuffed in the back of the squad car. They radio ahead and they say, oh my God, we got this Irishman and he blew a point three. I said, I'm English, you moron. <laughs> they book me in after a couple of hours. Somebody they know and trust comes and picks me up and takes me back to the lockdown psychiatric unit. So what? I've been there four times. I'd literally gotten drunk twice on the way home from there. Now the lockdown psychiatric unit, Sounds depressing, right? It's, it is a bit like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, man. I love me a bit of lockdown psychiatry. You know what I mean? I know, because I know what's coming my way. And the nerves have crept back in. You know, I need some pills. A lot of narcotics are coming my way, right? And I know the drill, dude. I know the drill. You see that lovely little lady in the lovely little window that you check yourself in. I said, hey, love, how you doing? I would like 118 Valiums, two pints of Seroquel, whatever the fuck they are on the top shelf. I would like my usual room, but if that's not available, I'll take the penthouse room if you don't mind. And they check me in, they take the laces off me, the belt off me. Now I'm ready to rip and roll. Now I'm loaded to the gills and now I can start judging people. <laughs> and I need to find me a little girlfriend in here. It's a great place to find a girlfriend. <laughs> So I go into the day room, go into the telly, watch the TV room. And there she is, there she is, bless her heart, doing laps around the couch. She looks like like that girl from fucking Ring or something, you know what I mean? She's for me. Now, unfortunately, they they detox me from the alcohol, then they detox me from the drugs, and they pop me out sober one more time. So what? The only difference is this time I hit pop. Hitting bottom gets misrepresented in alcohol synonymous all the time. Hitting bottom is very, very specific. Usually you describe a terrible part of your story to describe hitting bottom. No. Quite usually when we get sober, it's not the worst drunk we've ever been. That was the case for me. Hitting bottom is when you ask somebody for help and follow through with all the directions. Some of my guys said to me, Darren, I went to prison, I was in gang warfare, I was drinking hooch out of the, the, the bed frame and all this shit. I'm like, yeah, that's a bad story, but you're still doing what you do. The girl says, I was, I was uh, pulling tricks on the corner of the street so I could get high 10 minutes later. That's hitting bottom. I'm like, no, 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 you're just doing your thing. Just a bad part of your story. Hitting bottom is you ask someone for help and follow through with all the directions. I came out of the lockdown psychiatric unit. I didn't pick up a drink. 
It was a Wednesday afternoon. I went to a very powerful men's stag called the Junkyard Cups. Whoa, in my home group, right? There's about 80 men stood outside this meeting hall. Dozens of them were properly armed with the facts about themselves and the illness of alcoholism. I went straight up to Mike and I said, Mike, I just got out again, dude. I'm going to drink tonight. You know it. I know it. What do I have to do? He said, Jesus, Darren, are you sober right now? I said, yeah. He'd never seen me sober. He said, holy shit. <laughs> Normally we do, some, we do some reading. We do the ABCs. Let's do a third step prayer right now. I said, what, in front of these 80 men? And I hate God. I've never prayed. I'm not doing any of that bullshit. He said, yeah. I said, okay. Dumb guy approach. Okay. The no had been beaten out of me. Darren wasn't too cool for school anymore. We did a prayer in front of all these men. We went into the meeting. I went, I went home and I wrote 100 names on my four-step. I got up at 5 a.m. the next day, shaking and baking, and I wrote 100 more. I called this man. It wasn't even 6 a.m. to check in and get my next column, and he answered the phone. This guy answered the phone. I can never repay this man. I called him 12 times that day to finish all three inventories. I went to his house the next day, did my fifth step. Before sending me home for me hour, he gave me a hug. I said, Darren, this has never happened to me before. I said, I feel like shit, Mike. I'm glad you're doing good. He went, don't worry, trust in the process. Then we did six and seven the next day. Then I transferred my list and I added to my list. On about my fourth day of sobriety, I went around Santa Barbara's bars, restaurants, and shops and I made 21 amends. 21 amends. And I was rocketed into a fourth dimension. I've been suicidal and awakening for two or three years, and now my little English heart filled up so much I didn't know what to do. I felt a power, peaceful, and a happiness flowing. I'm like, oh my God, this is why Anna's into it so much. This is why Lou and Kyle drive all over the place to meetings. Shit, everything was making sense. This is why my little mum goes to church every Sunday morning. Most boring hour of my life, but it must fill a little heart up. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I got up the next day and I went to Foodland Liquor Store. I said, sir, I've been stealing vodka from your store for well over a year. I said, I will never steal from you or anyone else ever again. I said, it's Friday. I've just started work two days ago for the first time in forever. There's $25. I'll be back every Friday on payday to pay you $25 until I've paid that whole amount of $2,750 and any interest you determine. I said, is there anything else I can do to make this right? And he said, wow. And I went, wow. Float it off to make some more financial amends. Because <laughs> I couldn't believe I got it felt to give you your money back. I said to my sponsor, what's next? He said, oh my God, Darren, this has never happened to me before. 10 and 11. I said, 10 and 11, what's 10 and 11? He said, two minutes in the morning, two minutes at night. I'm all, two minutes, two minutes, what the fuck? Yeah, you had to postpone the punishment off. Suppose, weren't you being punished your last weeks, months, or even years of drinking and using? You get to postpone that one day at a time for the rest of your life, for permanent sobriety, if you do all of it, prayer and meditation. I can't skip on anything, because I'm the real deal, dude. I will drink again. Two minutes and two minutes. Now, listen, I suck at meditation. I absolutely <laughs> suck at it, and I don't like it. It's taken me almost 18 years to go from two minutes meditation to 10 minutes meditation. 18 years. But God loves him a little trier, mate. God loves him a little trier. My God 
He's laughing his ass off at me doing my shitty meditation every day. Going, Look at that little fuck. Look at him doing his shitty meditation. And he sucks at it, that little English wanker. Look at him. But you know what? Check. Give that little wanker another day of sobriety. That's how my God works. He doesn't care about potty mouth little fuck from Manchester. He cares about my actions and my helping other people. Give him another day of sobriety. Steps 10 and 11. So simple, you won't do it. Isn't that the truth? But I am in. I am in, dude. I am sold on the plan outlined in this book. I got to be in the trenches. Some of us have to work a very good program just to feel normal. I have to work a very, very good program just to feel normal. Don't be confused by those people that can go to one speaker meeting a week. And they're good and giddy and spiritual. <laughs> Fucking hate those people. <laughs> Don't worry about them. Feed your own soul around here. Feed your own soul. I have to go to many meetings. I have to sponsor a shitload of guys. I have to do H&I. I have to do the whole ball of wax. I do so much AA in Santa Barbara. I sponsor so many men in Santa Barbara. I should be the Dali fucking Lama or some shit. <laughs> but I ain't. I do all that just to feel normal. And I get a full heart quite often. And that's the payoff. That is the payoff. Albert's Honest is by far the best thing that's ever happened to me. And there's been so many wonderful moments, just like anybody that stayed sober and stayed active. Many of these, we've entered the world of the spirit moments. And one of them, I'll finish with this, is uh, I was asked to speak. I get asked to speak a lot because I have a funny accent, right? I was asked to speak at the <laughs> Akipar Convention, which is the biggest young person's convention in California, 3,000 young maniacs took over this Hilton complex in San Jose in the Bay Area, right? I'm the closeout speaker. Most of these bookers have gone home already, but there's about, many of them are in the emergency room having overdosed on Red Bull, yeah. right? <laughs> I think they were on a monster drip in the emergency room or something. There's about six, 700 people at this meeting. Now I'm on the stage and there's a girl next to me and we're about to give our talk and she's on her cell phone. I hate that shit. She's on her cell phone. And like, of course, it's none of my business. So I get stuck right into it. So what the fuck are you doing on that phone? Like that? <laughs> Put your phone away. It's a bit rude. She said, well, I'm having a problem. I said, well, what's the problem now? She's, we're, she's from LA. I'm from Santa Barbara. And we're in the Bay Area. She's texting her sponsor in LA. Her sponsor's heard from one of the guys she got sober with 21 years ago. After 90 days, he moved to Maui, Hawaii, raised a family with two kids. The only person he has a number of is still one of the girls he got sober with. So he's having a massive family problem. Text this woman. She texts her. She looks at me. I said, well, put it away. She went, well, I'm trying to find somebody from Santa Barbara. I said, I'm from Santa Barbara. We'll give you my number, right? We give our talk. Everything goes great. Cruising down the freeway home. And I remember, oh, I've got to call this man. Now, when you speak out of town, you try and take your toughest men with you, like Kyle or someone tattooed up, tattooed up, you know, the brothers from jail and prison and shit. You never know what's going to go down. And as I'm, I'm putting this guy on speakerphone and he's ringing and he answers the phone and I said, oh, hey, my name's Darren. I'm just coming home from a conference. I was told to call you. And he just starts bawling his eyes out. He just keeps crying. It's such a moment of humility. And he cannot breathe and he cannot get the words out. And I'm going, oh, my God. 
God, it's still so bad for him. We just felt so for him. But I can't like lose my shit because I'm with all these tough guys, right? And I look at them, I'm like, fuck are you doing? Are you crying? This guy, are you saying you know, this fucking guy crying? I look in the back, I'm like, what the fuck are you crying? You got tattoos on your face, motherfucker. Let me cry, I'll cry. And he gets his, he gathers his breath and he, and he said, look, man, I've never asked for anybody. Anything of anybody in Alcott's Anonymous except if my boys need the hand of AA, then let it be there. I said, dude, we're all in. We're all in. I'll do anything. Where are they? Are they on the mainland? He's oh, yeah, they're at university. I said, oh, my God. We're all, I've got some good reach and connections. And, and he said, they both, they're 19 and 20 years of age, and they're both dying of untreated alcoholism. He said, they both attend Santa Barbara City College. I said, I work at Santa Barbara City College. We have entered the world of spirit. And I go back to town and I find both of those young men. One of them became a good member of the Junkyard Dogs and since moved to LA. The other one is dying of untreated alcoholism. The yin and the yang of alcoholics and animals, right? Somebody's taking a cake. Somebody's in the last 30 days and they're in this room. Now, if you're having a problem with God, like I had a real problem with God, maybe you can think of this. Religion might be for people that are trying to avoid going to hell. Spirituality is for people that have been to hell. Thank you very much. Woo!